Well, here we're going to look today in 1 John chapter 1. Uh, I'm, I'm departing from our study of 1 Thessalonians for a week. Uh, the passage coming up really didn't fit with communion. Um, and you'll, if you come back next week, you'll see why. Uh, but we want to think a bit about fellowship with the Lord. This is communion with the Lord. This is what we are uh, doing today. Uh, is what we should be doing every day. Uh, when we uh, walk with the Lord in our relationship with Him. And it was upon my heart uh, to, uh, talk to talk about this today, especially as we come to the Lord's table in just a few moments and commune with Him. What does that mean? And what is it expressing when we come to the Lord's table? Um, I want to look at 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4, because he speaks of this fellowship. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. God bless the reading and hearing of his word today to us. May we hear it and, and know this deep fellowship that we can have with God the Father and his son and the Holy Spirit. Well, today I wanted to, as I mentioned before, talk about, first of all, uh, the important event to reason, the important event that we need to think about, to contemplate, that he speaks of here in 1 John chapter 1. And then I want to talk about why the, the reason, or the, I want to talk about the reason the event is important. So you see that in the outline there that you hopefully have in your hands. Well, you see here in verses 1 through 3 that John begins this letter telling his readers that he is proclaiming something. He's used the word proclaim twice. Verse 3 is one of those uh, places. He uses the word proclaim here, which means, uh, it refers to an official proclamation of kings, a declaration. Uh, and that's what he's doing. He's declaring something. He's proclaiming something to us. Now, what he is proclaiming is what he and others all the disciples and apostles. He's proclaiming what he and, and them saw, heard, and touched, as he says there. He's proclaiming something to which he was an eyewitness. He's proclaiming news, events that happened in history that he was able to experience. This news concerns, he says, the word of life, the word of life, as he tells us there in verse 1. These verses echo that what this same author wrote in his gospel, John chapter 1. I've given it to you there in your outline. In the beginning, you can hear it, it sounds a lot the same if you uh, lay them side by side. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
the word of life. That's what he's testifying and, and declaring to us, proclaiming to us. It's what he's talking about there in John chapter 1, this word. John is using this term word. In Greek, it's the word logos. It's, a, it's an important term in those days, in Greek philosophy especially. In Greek philosophy, the logos was reason or logic, and it was an abstract force that was to bring harmony and peace, order to the universe. And that's why the Greeks spent so much time philosophizing. We look at Plato and Socrates and others from these uh, days, and they spent a lot of time contemplating the world and, and looking for reason and logic and thinking through things. By capturing the power of reason and logic, they believed that one could achieve meaning in life. So this is a very philosophical term that John is taking up from the Greeks, this term logos or word. Well, John corrects the Greeks and the Gnostics who were uh, uh, beginning in his day. They, they were a her heretical group that took up, this term, <clears throat> took up this term logos to their own use. But John corrects this way of thinking. It was a humanist way of thinking. You know, a humanist believes that man is the measure of all things, that man is the center of the world, the universe. And, of course, the Greeks believed if, if they got their heads around things, if they could, if they could reason and, and find the logic of the universe, that that would unlock the key to the meaning of life. John corrects this way of thinking, and he turns the, the, the uh, stress away from humans, away from man and, and women, men and women, and he turns it to God. This word that so many people are pursuing through their own means is, he says, actually a person who was God. This is what you're looking for. He was God, he was with God in the beginning, and he is God. And John tells us that that word, that person, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says that he saw him, and he heard him, and he touched him. Anyone familiar with the Gospels knows that John was one of those people that followed Jesus when he started his public ministry. And, and he's saying, the word, this word of life, we're proclaiming this to you. We're telling you all about this logos, this one who holds the key to the meaning of life for us humans. He not only spoke the words of life, Jesus did, but he embodies life. Eternal life, John says. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So John proclaims Jesus. Not only his life, his death, and his resurrection, but that which was from the beginning, he says. That's how he begins in both places. John's Gospel, here in 1 John as well. And of course it echoes Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead some 2,000 years ago, but he was there in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
So, the one who is eternal, the one who gave life to creation, is the one John saw and heard and touched. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life embodied is who John is proclaiming. He proclaims not only who he is, but what he said, and especially what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. That's what he's proclaiming to us here. And it's a record of events. Christ, the one who is from the beginning, coming into the world. So it's news. That's good news. John proclaims news, a record of events that occurred in time and space concerning Jesus Christ, the word of life. In him is life and the meaning of life. Now, why is this important for us to consider? Because too often, people believe that Christianity is is like all the other religions of the world. In that, it is primarily a code that one follows. It's a list of instructions telling people how they can find true meaning in this life and beyond. If you do these certain things, then God will be obligated to do something for you. That's the way we have a tendency to think about it as human beings. But that's not what John is saying. On the contrary, John is telling us and all the writers of the Gospels and New Testament and Old Testament, they're telling us that Christianity is about what Jesus came to earth to do in order for people to be able to find true meaning and eternal life. It's a report about what Jesus has done and and who he is and why he came to do it. It's news. It's what the eyewitnesses like John saw and heard and touched concerning Jesus. Well, it's the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And John's telling us about this. He's giving us this report about it. And not just that he came, but what he did when he came and and why he did what he did when he came to earth. And it must be reasoned. It must be thought about and contemplated. And more so, it is to be believed. It is to be responded to. You know, when you hear news, you know, if it's any kind of news, you have a response to it. Maybe it makes you angry. Maybe Maybe it makes you frightened. Maybe it says... You need to evacuate because there's a hurricane coming. Maybe uh, there's, uh, they're giving away free things down at the bank, free money. You know, you respond to those sorts of things and you respond to the news. And that's what John is calling us to do, to respond to Christ, to Jesus. He saw it, he heard it, he touched it, he's telling it to us. We've got to think about that, this event that happened. It's the most important event that ever occurred. So John then goes on to tell us two reasons why we should hear, believe, and respond appropriately to this proclamation of the King of Kings. So the reason the event is important, there's actually reasons, two of them, which uh, he gives us here in verses 3 and 4. Look at verse 3, first of all. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that... Here's why he's proclaiming what he's proclaiming about Jesus. So that, first of all, you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
So John is inviting us, his readers, whether they were from the first century or from this century, he's inviting all the people who hear his words into the fellowship he and the other eyewitnesses enjoy with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John, of course, knew Jesus personally. In fact, uh, you know, he, as he says, he talked to him, he heard him, he saw him, he touched him. They hung out together. And those who believe in Jesus are invited into that same kind of relationship as John had and the other disciples had with him. In fact, we're called to be disciples of his as well. We're called to be in that fellowship with him. The same kind of personal relationship that John and the other disciples had with the Lord Jesus. Now John is described in the Bible in places in the Gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. What a great designation he had. The disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm sure he loved all the disciples. But John especially had that designation. And before he died, uh, he put Mary, his mother, in the care of John. So John was special. Now if we believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, who we too are, if we are disciples, invited into that fellowship and communion with him, then we too, like John, are disciples whom Jesus loves. We often think that because of our sinfulness, we're, we're tempted to think that how can God, how can the Lord love me? Well, John had his share of problems as well. He did things that were boneheaded and outright sinful. Comes to mind, I remember, you know, when the account, when he says, uh, you know, when you come to your throne, Lord, put me and my brother on either side of you so we can be second in command. You know, a lot of pride, a lot of glory seeking going on in John's life at that point. But the Lord still loved him. And those who believe in Jesus are united to God in a love relationship. The Bible talks about that relationship in, in the terms of marriage, as we've looked at many times. You know, the, the relationship Christ has with his church, with the individuals who are trusting in him, who believe in him, is like the, the relationship between a, a man and a wife. That close, that intimacy, that love. The bride, it tells us there in Ephesians 5, he, he cleanses. She's not spotless or perfect, but he's making her that way. And those who have that relationship with Jesus, that's what he's doing. He's, he's begun a good work, and he's going to complete it. Cleaning us up, making us spotless. And he considers us spotless. He considers us his people. As we said at the, the beginning of Psalm 100, we are his people. We are his sheep. He's our good shepherd. And he loves us a whole lot more than shepherds love sheep. But how is this possible? Being sinners, we need to consider that by nature, since the fall of man, since sin entered the world... Nobody can have communion with God. Nobody can have fellowship with God. He is light. We are darkness. He is love and we are enmity. There can be no agreement between those. We, have no, we don't have Christ. We don't have hope. We don't have God in the world. We're alienated from the life of God. 
through the ignorance that we have. Ephesians. Two cannot walk together unless they agree. There's distance between God and man. There's no walking together in and of ourselves. We can't just reason or logic or, or do good works in order to get into those good graces. We're on the wrong side completely. We're out of fellowship with him because of sin. But it's only through this one, this, the word of life, the word of God, the, the divine logos, Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can come into fellowship with God through the pardoning grace and mercy that is provided through Christ. He is the only door of entrance into that communion with God. Only through Him. He alone purchased it with His life and His death and His resurrection. He came to earth for that sole purpose, to repair the breach, to, 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 to bring us into fellowship. He is the mediator between God and man. There was no communion, no fellowship, but only through Christ can there be a mediation, can they be brought together. He purchased it with his blood. He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. That's what we're remembering here at the Lord's table. Remembering what he's done for us to bring us into this communion, this fellowship with the Lord. He purchased it for us and he dispenses it. He freely gives it. He's the one who holds it in his hands and we must come to him to find that grace and that mercy. He's the one that has revealed it. He is, as John said in his gospel, full of grace and truth. Isn't that wonderful? That he invites us into fellowship with him. He purchased it for us and he's so eager to give it to us that we might know him and walk with him Every day, we can know the one who created us and walk in fellowship with him. So first of all, the reason this is important that we respond appropriately to this proclamation is that fellowship is at stake. Fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. And secondly, look at verse 4. He gives us a second reason. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He's not just saying, I'll be really happy if you do this, he's talking, when he says our joy, he means his joy, your joy, my joy, and anyone who hears joy. All of our joy will be complete. Because it's only in fellowship with the Lord that we can have true, lasting joy. You think about that. We're all looking for happiness and joy. Where do we go for it? There's lots of places to, to look in our world, a lot of places that we go to find joy in life. But they're only temporary joys. And often the joys that we pour ourselves into give us grief, ultimately. Temporarily, yes, we enjoy it, but long-term, not good. The only lasting true joy, the only complete joy as John says here, is found in Christ. We have a catechism in our church. Westminster Confession of Faith is part of our uh, constitution. Number one, question number one starts this way, and you all probably know it. What is the chief end of man? What is the 
highest purpose of man? What is, what is he here for? What is, what is he created for, is the question. It's probably the ultimate question. Man's chief end, man's ultimate purpose, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do you enjoy the Lord? You know, we have relationships with friends, with our spouse, with family members, and we enjoy them. We enjoy being in their presence. We en enjoy uh, sharing a meal with them. We enjoy uh, doing things with them. We enjoy conversation. We enjoy listening to them. Well, that's what it's talking about, this fellowship, this relationship that we have with the Lord. We can, John is telling us, have this kind of relationship with the Lord where we commune with Him, where we have fellowship with Him, and we can enjoy God on a daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis. We are, once we get into relationship with the Lord, we're getting a taste of that on this earth. There will be times when we may feel that the Lord is distant, but we miss it, right? When a loved one goes away, we miss them. But Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. He's always there, he's always with us, and he's promised to be with us. And then when the Lord returns, we talked about last week, we will see him face to face, and as it said in that passage in 1 Thessalonians, we will be forever with the Lord. What will we do there? We'll forever with him. We will be with him, and we will rest in him as the ultimate fulfillment of all our desires. The question is today for us, do you enjoy him? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you walking with him on a daily basis? Do you have that kind of love relationship with the Lord where he is the fulfillment of your desires? Well, if not, then as we mentioned before, he's the one who dispenses that. He's the one who opens the way for that relationship. All we must do is ask him come to him and recognize that we need him to create that relationship with us. And maybe we're believers, but we've lost our first love, which happens. You read that in some of the churches uh, in Revelation, the first couple of chapters there. You, one of the churches, the, he writes and says, you've lost your first love. Maybe you don't enjoy the Lord as you once did. Well, how do we have fellowship with the Lord? How do we get back into fellowship? Well, we confess our sins. We confess that we, we pray to him. We call upon him. We turn to his word. We listen to him. Like a relationship. If you are estranged from a, a loved one, what do you do? You call him up. You talk to him. You spend time with him. You have a meal together. So today, wherever you are spiritually, come to the, come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. Now, we're coming to the table here, and this is a picture of this fellowship that we have. First, we're doing it in remembrance of Christ, right? Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. We're remembering what he's done to create this relationship that we can have with him. And he's invited us to his table. You know, you may not, uh, you know, you just don't want to invite anybody over for dinner. But Jesus invites us to his table because he's, he's our friend. We're his family, and we get to come to his table and commune with him as we remember who he is and what he's done 
we're encouraged in our hearts by his great love for us that's exhibited here in the bread and the wine, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And it reminds us that, yes, the Lord loves us. Yes, Jesus loves me. And we are in his presence, and he's with us, and all the blessings that flow from that relationship are ours as we partake of him. So as we come to the table, let's consider these things and renew our covenant with the Lord, remembering all that he's done for us and that in him is the fulfillment of all our desires, true joy and true fellowship only found in him. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we we do come to you today and we thank you for John's words here that remind us that we can have fellowship with you. Yes, we're sinners. John goes on to tell us that if we deny that we're sinners, then we're lying, lying to ourselves, lying to you. But Lord, we thank you that you are our advocate. You're the propitiation, the sacrifice of atonement that cleanses us and washes us and allows us to come into your very presence, to the very throne room of God, to, to be with you and to come to your table and to commune with you. We pray, Lord, in these moments as we come to your table that you would indeed commune with our hearts and cause us to grow in grace and in in the knowledge of you, that we would know you better through the time spent here at your table. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.